So I'm Christoph McGlade and I'm a research associate in energy materials modelling at the UCL Institute for Sustainable Resources. And the paper that you wrote that, that came out recently that generated a lot of profile last week, uh, I wonder if you could just outline for, 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 for the listener its key findings. Yeah, so the, the, the paper is, is looking at the, the uh, optimal use of fossil fuels if we want to have a, a, a good chance of staying below the, the politically agreed two degrees threshold. And within that, it, 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 it breaks down the amount of oil, gas and coal reserves that are used and aren't used at a regional level. So it, 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 it points out the, the or suggests the countries that that would have to sacrifice a large proportion of their fossil fuel reserves if, if we want to have a good chance of two degrees. And so the headline findings on a global level are that uh, around 80% of coal reserves, 50% of gas and a third of oil reserves will need to remain unburnt if we are if we're to have this chance of two degrees how has the paper been received since it came out generally it's it's been received fine there's there's, there's not been too too much uh i, I think we, it, it goes in cycles as as to uh the the who, who's reading it so there's there's been a, a good bit of press interest which has been good to see um who, who've generally just reported on the findings and, and what this and, and the, the general disconnect that exists between what policymakers are saying and and the implications of of, of what they're saying. Um, in the next cycle, I suspect we'll, 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 we'll be getting a bit more feedback from academic circles and, and potentially some response from, from some of the, the companies that are, that are affected by this, but we haven't really got a huge amount of feedback, critical feedback just yet. In the paper, you say large portions of the reserve base and an even greater proportion of the resource base should not be produced if temperature rises to remain below two degrees. Given that governments appear to be prioritising growth above all else at the moment, what are the implications of your paper and its findings for the future of uh, economic growth or not? I think it's, it's important to go, to go back to the model itself uh, and, and how, how it functions. And one of the key inputs to the model is, is GDP growth. And, and then what's associated with that is, is the amount of energy services that are, are required. So, for example, how far are people likely to drive in the future? Uh, how much heating will it be required in people's houses? Um, how many tons of steel will be produced and that kind of thing? And the model is, is, has to ensure that though all of those energy service demands are, are satisfied, while also ensuring under the scenarios we run that temperature rise doesn't go above two degrees. And what the, what the paper goes on to show uh, is, is really this disconnect that exists between the, and the inconsistencies in current, in current policymakers' positions. On the one hand, I think pretty much every country across the world has signed up to, to, to limit global warming to two degrees. And at, at the same time, all policymakers are very keen on exploiting all of their domestic reserves and developing new resources or fossil fuels whenever they can. And really what this just highlights is that those two things are really mutually uh, inconsistent. They're, 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 they're mutually exclusive. You can't, you can't do both. So it's really just to flag up to policymakers some of the, the – once you've got tangible figures that you can put on on, a, on the fossil fuels that have to stay in the ground, it, it really kind of dr- uh, emphasizes the message to policymakers of, uh, of, the, of uh, the implications of what they've agreed to. One of the things that you do in your paper is is you actually sort of you kind of set out a list of who can and who can't burn certain amounts of the reserves that they have. Um, given that everyone will 
want to burn their own oil rather than other people's because it's more politically popular and more financially lucrative for them to do it. How's how's that going to work? How what do you propose as the mechanism for that? And 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 how what drove your process of of selecting who can and who can't? So so to answer the second part of that first, the 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 who can and who can't. So again, that that's part of the model that we use. Uh, that that's one of the results from the model. So I mentioned that the model has to ensure that all of the energy service demands are satisfied. And also that the temperature rise doesn't go above two degrees. And, and the way the, the model has a number of options of, of making sure that how, how to heat homes, it has a number of technology options and it has a number of sources of energy that can be used to satisfy those energy service demands. So, for example, it could use gas as we, as we currently do for a large part in the UK, or it could shift to heat pumps or it could or it could go to bioenergy. And if it goes to heat pumps, it can produce that electricity using renewable sources or fossil fuel sources or nuclear or, or whatever it, it chooses to do. And the, 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 the way the model chooses to do this is on a cost optimal manner. So it, it says what is the cheapest way of ensuring that both the energy service demands are met and ensuring that the two degrees limit isn't exceeded. And then once you've got that, once the model has, has, uh, has, has solved and, and has found the, the, the cost optimal manner in which it can do this, you can then compare the levels of production of each of the cumulative levels of production of all of the fossil fuels with the amount of reserves that we think exists within each of the countries. And, and on that basis, you, you, you can then look at well, what isn't used, and that's what we classify as, uh, as, as unburnable, if you, if you want to have a good chance of two degrees. So, so, so for example, uh, it's found that although the Middle East has an awful lot of very cheap oil, it still has to leave a huge proportion of that in the ground. It has to leave at least 40% of its of its current oil reserves in the ground. And that's broadly equivalent to all of the reserves currently held by Saudi Arabia, which is obviously a, a very, very large number. And the, the mechanism by which this might happen, well, there is a, that's obviously beyond the scope of the paper itself. The, the, the paper is merely here to, to, to provide the evidence, which, mm. and hopefully this evidence will feed into the negotiations towards the end of this year in Paris on on agree on on how they will uh, implement the the already agreed two degrees target and one might expect that if 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 countries or regions are going to to have to are going to be penalized in some way for for having to to, to keep the two degrees by leaving lots of the, the reserves in the ground they might be compensated for that in some mechanism and so this again as i mentioned this is really just to provide more evidence into well if if the middle east is going to have to leave an awful lot of oil in the ground how is how is that going to be resolved and then similarly another another thing that comes up through in this is that as you mentioned politicians always want to develop that indigenous production when they can and you once we've got figures on on who has to leave stuff in the ground if 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 you want to develop if say the uk wants to develop new sources of shale gas it may be able to do that and still stay within two degrees but as a result someone else's reserve somewhere around the world is going to have to stay in the ground and you can therefore pose the question to policymakers well whose 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 fossil fuel reserves are staying in the ground as a result of you wanting to develop new resources does the current uh, very very low oil price uh, help or or hinder this you know there was a, a the, the guardian reported last week the price crash threatens job on north sea oil fields is this good news i think it's it's a it's a mixed blessing and the balance is still uncertain as to as to what it means and I, I think the two two important things to highlight well three things important to highlight 
One is that the discussion of, of the implications of the oil price for climate change has not actually been mentioned too much in, in, in the press so far that I've seen, um, which is struck me as a little bit uh, strange, given it, given the importance of this year for for, uh, for climate change, particularly with the negotiations at the end of the year. But I think two things that are worth pointing out. One is that um, un undoubtedly, given that the reduction in oil prices, uh, gas prices are likely to follow to some extent. They lag behind, and therefore subsidies will be will will seem more expensive for, for renewable sources. But on the on the on the flip side, a low oil price for a, a net importer such as the UK means that um, growth in the in the UK will be greater. Um, people will have. Uh, People will have more disposable income because they're paying less for their petrol at the, at the pump. And if that additional wealth is used in a correct way, if, if it was to be channeled towards, let's say, renewable sources, uh, there's, there's, there's no reason why, why, why this can't be seen as a good thing. And the other thing that uh, a, a low oil price gives you is, is space in which to operate. The uh, political spaces is to, to implement uh, a carbon tax. E economists have been saying for for decades, the importance of, of 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 properly pricing carbon, if we if and that's the one of the most the the best ways of of of, uh, of managing uh, climate change and ensuring that uh, we can force coal out of the system. And by having a low oil price, it's possible to share some of the benefits. If at the same time as there's an oil, a low oil price, a, a carbon tax is brought in, it won't seem so bad to the end use consumers if if, if prices at the pump are still falling, they'll they'll fall. They won't be falling as quickly if there's a carbon tax put in place, but at least they would. Um, at, at least we would be shifting in, in, in a in a suitable way towards uh, implementing a carbon tax. What's your sense of the the implications of it of this for the financial sector? Because it uh, uh, there's I suppose Bill McKibben and people have made the point for a long time that uh, that unburnable carbon is the uh, is the carbon bubble. Jeremy Leggett's written about that as well. What do, what are the implications for pension companies and banks and stuff of, of what's in your paper? As, as you mentioned, it, it's been known for a while. Uh, the Carbon Track Initiative have been very active in this in this space in terms of highlighting that if if there is a, a, a two degrees uh, target, that a number of the fossil fuel companies might be um, overvalued. I think um, and. This 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 analysis hopefully adds to that to that conversation in terms of, of providing more tangible figures. I, I think some of the, the the things just to highlight are that fossil fuel companies are spending an awful lot of money. I think the, the carbon track initiative themselves came up with a number of around six hundred and seventy billion dollars uh, was spent. I think in twenty thirteen, exploring for and developing new sources, new resources, and. In in a climate in a climate constrained world, uh, a lot of that would may well be self defeating because new resources don't necessarily lead to to, to new new sources of production. But if you, even if you discover something, it doesn't necessarily mean that that you, you, you can you can produce it because there may well be insufficient demand for it. And so, the investors in, in fossil fuel companies may well start to question whether such budgets are really justified and whether there might be other ways in which you can. Uh, Generate shareholder values. They they may well just appreciate a dividend much more than 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 potentially throwing lots of money at new sources of exploration. And at the limit, they might even regard these companies as as, as too risky, as as uh, not delivering long term returns in a sufficient way. And so they might start to, to push uh, their investment portfolios towards a more mixed um, basket with with some of the low carbon 
companies included. So yes, there, there is some stark messages in there for, for companies and, and investors in those companies. And that I, I think that the, the, the potential for a carbon bubble, that, that will continue going on in the future. And your paper is based on an assumption of a 50% chance of staying below two degrees. Those aren't great odds, are they? I, I, I wondered what, it would, what, what your paper would have said if we actually wanted something like an 80% chance, which is what we might want in our daily life to feel a bit more secure about things. Well, it's, it, the, the, the actual modelling is 60% chance of, of two degrees. Okay. The way the, 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 the model is set up. Um, but yes, you're right. It's that still sixty percent is, is still not not amazing odds. And, and if and and the carbon the carbon budget gets tight, it, it's much much tighter as as you as you want to go towards an eighty percent chance. I don't have the exact figure um, with me, but uh, I I think it's it's closer to the, a, a twenty ten to twenty fifty carbon budget is is around about uh, six hundred billion tons if you want an eighty percent chance. And in this in our analysis. It was around 900 billion tons for the for the, for the 60 percent chance. So you know you're, you're you're talking about an awful lot less carbon that can be emitted, and yes, the, the numbers would become would become even more stark if if we're uh, if we are to um, if, if if you want to have an 80 percent chance. But even achieving a 60 percent chance of, of two degrees is, is is looking pretty pretty ambitious. So um, in, indeed, it, it if it, it's the, the the two degrees threshold, which is which is so frequently quoted, is 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 simply a a political agreement. It was it was based on 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 uh, what what was seen to be a an okay level of of, of damages that, that might result. Those damages then changed in the future, and uh, sorry, the the damages that were seen at two degrees under a late analysis were actually seen to happen at slightly lower. Uh, temperature rise and but yet the two degrees level was was still remained so it's 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 important to recognize what two degrees still means that there was there will still be climate impacts um and the the percentage chances of staying that get pretty stark so what what i mean what i'm really trying to say is that two degrees is very ambitious uh, and it still carries with it an awful lot of risks so maybe it is worth being even more ambitious but that's uh that was going to be pretty difficult what would an agreement at COP21 that legislated in support of the, your findings look like? There will almost certainly be a number of elements to, to such an agreement. I've, I've never uh, been, been at any of the COP, uh, previous COPs, but they, they, the, the, the papers that come out subsequently seem to be multifaceted and have an awful lot of, of different uh, levels of, of detail and, and complexity. One of the one of the key things that would have to come out is is do we do we do we disallow the markets to, to to leave the fossil fuels in the ground, for example, by implementing a, a carbon tax around the world, or do we have to regulate on some of this stuff? And I I wouldn't want to, to speculate what would be what would be a be, a more politically feasible option for that because it's it's obviously all all options are going are going to upset a lot of people. I mean, even the idea of carbon budgets themselves. Are, are just are, are not liked by some countries in the in the COP negotiations, mainly because they they don't attribute any previous historical contributions to, to emissions in the atmosphere. They they're a, they're a, for, a purely forward looking we, uh, mechanism of 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 
looking at climate change and, and what might happen. And so a number of countries don't even like, particularly like talking in terms of carbon budgets. And I would have I would have thought any negotiations would have to perhaps attribute a bit a little bit more uh, contributions to those countries that 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 led to all of the the emissions in the atmosphere as as we currently have. And the UK currently has the its infrastructure bill going through, which seems to uh, be predicated on the idea that the UK could be uh, home to a shale gas revolution. You mentioned that before. Can you just say a little bit more about your implica- your sense of the implications of your research for that idea? Well, there's two separate things here. One is there's, there's, there was the WID review carried out not too long ago, which was just the, the, the public consultation on that closed. And the WID review was looking at how to maximize the economic recovery of North Sea oil and gas. And this is this is I mean this is very much what we were just talking about in terms of the politicians always wanting to exploit all of their domestic reserves and resources, and surprisingly, as part of that um, review, climate change didn't didn't really enter into the into the thought process at all. And we highlighted this inconsistency whenever when, whenever there was that public consultation that is. Is, is it right that climate change isn't even a consideration whenever you're talking about maximizing economic recovery of the North Sea? In terms of shale gas in, in the UK, the first thing to point out is is, is currently that it's, it's still a complete unknown. The, the government may have said it's going all out for shale, but that was on the basis of very little ev- real evidence. And there still hasn't been a huge amount more evidence presented on how much we can gas can be recovered and at what costs that gas could be recovered at and until those two things are really resolved to, to a much greater extent shale gas in the uk is still a huge unknown if, if obviously if the costs of production are a lot higher than the gas price no one's going to produce anything because they can't make any money and we, we still don't know whether that is the case so i think the, the government got was 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 quite had a lot of rhetoric about shale gas a few years ago and i think um, whenever whenever it, the the they saw what was happening in the United States, and I think they've, they've rode back from that slightly, mainly because they've seen that that these things haven't there hasn't been a revolution that that was once touted, and I think that was that was always going to be the case. There was there was a huge amount of evidence at the time saying that the that the differences between the the U.S. situation for shale and the U.K. situation for shale, and that it's not possible for there within a couple of years for there to be a huge shale gas industry in the U.K. But bringing it more down to the, uh, the the climate change impacts of of UK shale gas, it it may well be possible that some UK shale gas can occur. That's obviously disregarding any of the, the justified concerns about local environmental uh, impacts of shale gas production. This uh, this paper doesn't doesn't discuss those in any great detail. Um, it's it's focusing only on the on the the economic and the the, the climate side of of things. If those can all be resolved, if it can be shown that that shale gas is cheaper in the UK than 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 uh, than other reserves, if the fugitive emissions can be can be constrained in a in a suitable way, and if the if the government is able to say, well, by our developing shale gas, we can we identify who which reserves elsewhere in the world are not not going to be produced, then it is possible that, that shale gas could contribute uh, whilst they uh, could 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 come through even while staying at two degrees. But there's a huge number of caveats to that. And one of the one of the, the, the key reasons for that is that when you look in a global perspective, imported gas is quite often has a higher life cycle 
uh, emissions associated with it, especially if it's coming from, from liquefied natural gas, than domestic sources of production. So once you have an, a global agreement in place for reaching two degrees, every emission, every every ton of carbon counts, and, and there's, there's the, the model wouldn't particularly want to be transporting gas all the way around the world in a, in, a, in LNG if if there's cheaper sources available domestically for, for for example for the UK to produce. And does the model take any account of the the concept of energy return on investment? Would it make sense that actually the first oil that gets burnt is the stuff with the highest energy return on investment and then you work your way down from there? Certainly the the energy inputs to different sources of production is included and that that is an important consideration for the model. If we if we take for example the Canadian oil sands which require an awful lot of heat to produce that heat that the model does of of course take that into account it doesn't necessarily choose solely on the basis of the, the, the energy inputs which are chosen because it's an economic model it chooses on the basis of the costs of the, that those energy inputs and also once you have a, a constraint on the level of carbon that can be emitted once you have a carbon budget a, a ton of carbon also has a, a cost associated with it so sources of production which require more energy to produce especially if our energy is is dirty energy will will be penalized it, so it, it doesn't it doesn't directly use en- energy return on energy invested as a as a metric but it, it it but it converts energy any energy which is required into a into an economic consideration and then and then optimizes on that it's not just the the regions themselves the reserves and resources which we say which we we we, we suggest should stay in the ground also we looked at some of the specific so we looked at Arctic resources. Arctic resources in the model, once you go to a high temperature scenario, for example, if we if we if we don't care about carbon at all and we assume that we're going to allow there to be as much as as emissions as we want, we're we're on course for a four or five degrees temperature rise. There is development of oil and gas oil resources, sorry, in the Arctic because oil demand is so much higher. Under a two degrees scenario, there is no development of Arctic resources, and. This this has obviously has important implications for the companies that are currently exploring there, um, but also it, it to us it just suggested that really the Arctic should just be should perhaps just be classified as unburnable if we're to have a, a two degrees uh, a good chance of two degrees. There's there's in anything which is explored which is discovered is likely to be very expensive to, to bring to market, and there's there's other sources which are sufficient to to make sure that we meet energy service demands. And uh, we we can continue to, to to move to to drive the cars as as we want, and staying in two degrees without having to go into the Arctic. So, and similarly, a, an argument can a discussion can be made about the oil sands in Canada. The Canadians have 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 picked up on this paper and and, and have interpreted it in different ways. But the, the 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 key message from this is that it is possible for there to be some level of unconventional oil production in in the oil sands in in Alberta. However, that's only possible if they can completely decarbonize the energy inputs required for that. And even then, the level of production from Canadian oil sands is an awful lot lower than some of the reserve estimates which are which are which are coming out. And the production, the levels of the, the the rates of production are way way below what is projected might happen in in Canada over the next twenty or so years. So again, it suggests to us that the majority of the oil sands should also be classified as unburnable under two degrees. But given given the amount of investment in that, and that Canada's not really playing its part in kind of international legislation, how how might that be achieved beyond? 
a very powerful popular movement, a kind of keep it in the ground movement, uh, well, putting pressure. Again, I mean, it's, it's important to recognize that, that Canada has signed up to two degrees. Um, it's one of the signatories to the Copenhagen Accords. Um, the question therefore has to be asked is how, if, if, if you want to have, have this, this huge growth in, in, in all of your domestic resources, uh, reserves of resources, is, uh, I mean, are you, are you giving up on, on, two, on the two degrees um, uh, threshold which you've agreed to? This, 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 you, can, you can ask these new questions once, once you have the, these numbers in front of you. I don't think you necessarily, again, need to, to go to... If, if, if they do say that, oh, we're giving up in two degrees, well, then you say, right, well, this carries with... Do you understand what this, this means, both mm. politically and, and for the world itself, the risks that, that there are, are available to you? Mm. Um, and at the same time, it's, it's, it, it, it may well be sensible for, for countries to, kind of to start to diversify their... their, their, their their economy in terms of not being so reliant. I don't, I don't know the exact figures on how reliant Canada is on the oil sands production, but they're incredibly expensive to produce and um, whether it's, it's yielding a huge amount of GDPs is, is uncertain uh, to me, mainly because I don't have the numbers in front of me, but is it, it may well be sensible to, to, to look at alternative sources which are, which are more in line with, uh, with two degrees. Canada did, did pioneer, uh, it, it, it opened the first CCS carbon capture storage plant, um, for which it should be commended. Uh, it, it was incredibly expensive um, and demonstrated to a large extent that, uh, that carbon capture is not yet commercially deployable. But actions like that show that, that there are other options for Canada uh, and not just relying upon the oil sands. 